All right, Advent season is off to a good start here. Uh, we are lighting a candle each week to represent some very traditional um, views on what uh, each week of Advent means, what we can focus on. So this week, their focus is on hope. So our, our candle of hope is lit. And uh, we're going to talk about that more today. So our, our Advent series is, is called Expecting Presence. And I think what I want us to see uh, that God does uh, throughout Scripture, but also just in the person of Jesus, is when God decides to give a gift, and he's thinking, what's the best gift I can give to humanity? Um, it's, it's not a PS4, you know? It's just like, he, he's got bigger plans than that. When he's thinking about the biggest gift, it's not, it's not the Lexus with a bow on it in the driveway. Did anybody ever get that? I see those commercials and I think, who are these people with the Lexus for Christmas? That's awesome. But God's thinking bigger than that. When he decides to give a gift, he gives himself. It's his presence in Jesus. Just being intentional and engaged with human beings, that was the best gift that he could have given. And so what I hope that we can begin to see is that we live in a culture that really pushes back against uh, the idea that just being with people is a gift. You know, if you want to show love to people, what does Black Friday say? Spend money, get a good deal, but spend money, right? The more you save, the more you can spend, right? Or the more, is it, how is it? The more you spend, the more you save? There you go. Man, that is just some marketing genius right there. Because that's, that's what our culture tries to get us to do is like, if you really love someone, tell them with money, Right? Like buy gifts. And, and the more you spend, then the more you love them, right? Isn't, isn't that what our culture is trying to tell us, the commercialism and materialism? Here, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't buy gifts for people. Gifts are really a nice way to show um, some kindness to people. You should do that. But what we should not do is make the mistake of thinking that uh, how much we spend is a correlation to how much we love someone. But that may be the best gift that we can give people is our presence, just being calm, intentional, engaged, undivided attention? I, my guess is that some of your most cherished moments with people in your life have been when you had their undivided attention. And we're so distractible. We're so easy to, to be thinking about other things even while we're sitting in front of somebody. But to give someone your complete presence, man, what a gift. So what I'm hoping we can see is that this is exactly what God chose to give us when he decided to give us a gift and that when we want to show our love to the people around us, I mean, yeah, go ahead and buy the socks. They need socks. No one else is going to get them socks. Mom, just buy the socks. But then also, be present. Be present in ways that demonstrate the value of the person in front of you. And so we're going to see that this is what God does for us, and we're going to see he does it in some very intentional ways. So the first... Uh, element of God's presence with us is that it brings us hope. God's presence brings us hope. And why do we need, why do we need hope? I mean, if everything was great, if, if the world was as it should be, do we need hope for something better? I mean, if this is as good as it gets, we don't really need hope. And according to Paul, there will come a day when we don't need hope. Paul says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. There's going to come a day when we don't need faith because we'll see Jesus face to face. There's going to come a day when we don't need hope because everything will be as it should be. But we're not there yet. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? 
We, we live in a world where there is darkness and evil. And I, this is why I try not to watch the news very often. It just gets me down. But I check the headlines once a week just to see what's going on. And, and, and there's war still. There's still war. There are mass shootings just this last week in the U.S. There's, there's oppression, suffering, sickness, natural disasters. Man, our world needs some hope. Our world needs some reason to believe that things can get better. And this is the promise of God. It's the promise that was represented in the passage that Jill just so beautifully represented to us from Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Isaiah is picking up on a theme that starts in the very beginning of scripture and carries all the way through to the end that, that when, when God recognizes darkness is overwhelming humanity, he steps in, he intervenes, and he brings light. John picks up on this, the, the apostle John, when he's writing about the coming of the Messiah. In John chapter one, here's what he, he says in verses five and nine. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. God recognizes there's darkness in the world and so he brings light. And he's been doing this from the very beginning. So this is what we're gonna do over the next few minutes is take a quick tour from Genesis to Revelation and see this theme of darkness and light and how God steps into to darkness and brings, and brings light. Do you guys think I can uh, go Genesis to Revelation in, in 10 minutes? All right, some of you are praying for it. You're hoping, like, Lord, please, this is, my, this is what I want for Christmas. Okay, here we go. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter one, we're gonna start to see this theme of darkness, chaos, and then there's a uh, bonus theme of Babylon that's gonna come into play here. Um, so I'm gonna read in Genesis one. If you see something underlined on the screen, you can read that along with us out loud. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, holy cow, that was great. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and? Awesome. So in the beginning, there was chaos. I mean, that's what those words formless and void mean. There was chaos and darkness. And God is not good with that. Like, that's not what he wants for creation. And so he speaks, and there's light. And he creates a distinction between light and darkness. He says, these two things are not the same. They're incompatible. They can't occupy the same space. And then he creates this special place where God is gonna be present with his people and show them what it looks like to live in the light. We call it Eden. The Garden of Eden is this place of abundance where the humans live and they get to interact with God because he's present with them, giving them his attention and his love. He's provided for all their needs. But ultimately, the humans reject God's authority to decide right and wrong. They eat from the, from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. And this is reaching for the authority to decide what's good and bad for themselves. And when they commit this act of rebellion against God, darkness comes back in. They have opened a way for darkness to come into this place that God has decided this is gonna be light. So one of their consequences for bringing this darkness in through their rebellion is that they are exiled from the garden. You can't be in this place that's supposed to be good and beautiful and light if you're gonna bring darkness in with you. And so he exiles them from his presence and from the garden. And then we see this spiral 
begin to happen in humanity where darkness and sin and death just exponentially increase. Just the very next generation, Adam's own children, one of his sons kills his brother. And we find murder gets in really quickly and and things are spiraling out of control. When we get to Genesis chapter six, it's gotten so bad. Here's God's commentary on the state of humanity from Genesis chapter six. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Man, that sounds pretty bad. I mean, we can look around and we can see evil in the world, but is this even true today? Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And God sees this darkness and this chaos and this rebellion, and he steps in. And he rescues this family, Noah's family, um, who have been righteous and faithful, and uh, he cleanses the world and basically sort of starts over. But Noah and his family are still humans, and they still sin. In fact, as soon as they get off the ark, Noah plants a vineyard, makes some wine, gets drunk, and has some weird, inappropriate thing happen with his son. And darkness begins to spiral again until we get to Genesis chapter 11. And now humanity is is united in this place that's gonna be uh, known as Babel. And they have decided we're gonna build a tower that's gonna be the gateway to heaven. We wanna be in charge of the gate of heaven. We're gonna make a name for ourselves is what they say. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. We've rejected the name God has put on us. We rejected God's image on us and we wanna be God's ourselves. And when God sees this rebellion, this darkness and chaos and confusion, he steps in and he confounds the languages so they can't uh, communicate with each other. They can't be united in this rebellion. And the place is called Babel, a place of confusion. That place will later be known as Babylon, which throughout scripture is representative of rebellion against God and darkness and confusion. And out of this place of darkness, God calls a man named Abram. And he says, I, I'm, I'm gonna show the world what it looks like to live in light. And I'm gonna do that through you. Here's what God promises to Abram when he calls him. In Genesis chapter 12, verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and... I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And it is God's good purpose to be present with his people again and to show people what it looks like to live in light. And so he calls this man, Abram, and he says, you and your descendants are gonna show the world what it looks like to be in right relationship with me. And he calls them from a very specific place. We get the name of the town that Abraham lived in. It's called Ur. So let's show you this on a map. Abraham was called from this place called Ur. What's what's the closest town to Ur on the map? It's Babylon. And God calls him out. And he he has to go through that place to get to the place where God is going to give him a land, a land where God will once again be present with his people. It's like a new Eden where God is gonna provide abundantly. They're gonna be with him. They're gonna be in relationship with him. But he, he calls him out of Babylon, out of the place of darkness and confusion and chaos into the place where he's gonna be a representative of what it looks like to be a light to the world. We see Babylon show up again when the nation of Israel has been disobedient in uh, idolatry for so long that God finally says, we can't, we can't go on like this, right? They've just been worshiping other gods, rejecting God's um, authority over them, rejecting God's good will for them. And God finally says, you can't stay here. You can't be in this place 
the, the promised land, the, the second Eden, where, where it's supposed to be abundance and provision and we're in relationship with each other. You can't be here if you're just gonna bring this darkness and chaos in with you. So they're exiled. They're conquered by the nation of Babylon. And that's where they go, to this land of darkness and chaos and confusion until that time is ended and they're released to come back into Israel. We see Babylon show up again in Revelation. So we're already to the we're already to Revelation. We started in Genesis, we're already here. Um, we're on a good pace. Revelation chapter 17, verse three. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And then in verse 18, um, after John asks, what was that all about? Um, the, uh, he's told, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And so Babylon has come to represent really everything that's wrong with humanity. Like all the things, the, the things that we do that are acts of rebellion against God is represented in this place or this power called Babylon. And for the people that John is writing to at the time, when they think of a place or a power that represents rebellion against God, they immediately think of Rome. Rome is this empire that's built on um, the oppression of all other people and built on a pagan religion. And so Babylon in Revelation is Rome. And, and Peter picks up on this. In Peter's letter, 1 Peter, he, he gives the people Greece, says, the people who are in Babylon greet you. And he's not talking about the ancient place that we're, you know, we're, Abram came from. He's talking about Rome. The people in Rome greet you because they have come to equate those two as the same thing, this place of rebellion against God and darkness and chaos. And the story of the book of Revelation is about how God brings hope. God intervenes when, when humanity spirals in because it happens over and over again. Rome wasn't the last Babylon, right? There have been many since then where humanity spirals into this place where it's just rebellion against God is what reigns. And the, the message of hope from the book of Revelation is that God steps in and he brings light and goodness and invites people out. He invites people out. Because I think we have to wrestle with this question. Like, why is, if God is light, why is there so much darkness in the world? Why is there evil and suffering and pain? Why is the world not as it should be? I think it's easy to look around and recognize things are not as they should be. And we even look in our own hearts and we go, I'm not as I should be. Why is this the case? And is there a way out? Is there hope for something better? And maybe this time of year is particularly difficult for you because you've experienced some of this pain or brokenness. You've experienced loss. And, and maybe Christmas is not a time you look forward to because it just reminds you of something or someone who's missing, a relationship that's broken. And you have a hard time celebrating at this time of year. And we acknowledge that's a reality for a lot of people. So one of the things we're doing new this year is we're having a special service. We're calling it Blue Christmas. It's on December the 19th. It's gonna be held in our house of prayer out here on the north side of our lot. And it's just, it's not gonna be a time where you have to sing joy to the world and try to mean it when you don't feel it. It's gonna be a time when we're gonna recognize that grief is a part of the human experience. And loss is, is, a, is a difficult thing to wrestle through when you're supposed to be celebrating. Everybody else is so happy. Why am I so sad 
This is gonna be a place where it's gonna be safe to be sad. And we're gonna talk about what it means uh, to embrace this message of hope uh, in the Messiah in the midst of our grief and sadness. So if that uh, would be helpful to you or someone that you know or care about, tell them about uh, our Blue Christmas service on December 19th. Uh, we'd love for you to come and take advantage of that. But I think we, we have to wrestle with these questions. Why, why is the world not as it should be? Is there a way out? Is there hope for something better? And the way the prophets answer this question, because it's not a new question, is they begin to point to something and someone that is going to come and make an impact. Here's uh, what Isaiah is, is pointing the people to in his day. Isaiah 48, 20. He says, leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. The joy of this proclamation is rooted in this return to a place where God will be present with his people again. And then in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? So is there a way out? Is there hope for something better? Isaiah says, listen, we, we get it. You're living in darkness, but there's also hope. There is a light that guides you, makes the next step clear. And if we can learn to rely on and trust the light. And this is what John was talking about in the passages we read earlier, that Jesus is light coming into darkness. So we see that the promise of a coming Messiah is the answer to these questions. Why is there darkness and evil and pain and suffering? Because humans have rebelled against God. And is there hope? Is there a way out? Yes. There is a faithful one who is going to fulfill everything that God has required. He's gonna put the weight of the sins of the world on his back and carry it to the cross. He's gonna die for the sins of the world. Then he's gonna rise from the dead and there will be hope restored. So that's the answer to our question. Can we experience the presence of God in a world that's filled with darkness and chaos? Because I think we look around and we just, it just feels like a losing battle sometimes. We see so much happening that's out of our control. We see things happening in our own hearts that we just haven't been able to conquer and it just, they creep back in again and again. And sometimes it feels hopeless. But Jesus came to give us hope. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the one divine, the one perfect divine thing, one glimpse of God's paradise on earth is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. I love that. The battle against darkness and evil from our perspective is a losing battle, but Jesus doesn't lose. Jesus doesn't lose. And when Jesus engages against the darkness, he will win. Whether that's the darkness in your own heart, the darkness in your family, the darkness in our community, in our nation, or in the world, when Jesus chooses to engage it, he will win. And sometimes all he's waiting for is an invitation for us to say, Jesus, we want your light. We want you to come in. We want you to come in and push this darkness out. So I wanna just invite you this morning to think about how you receive the presence of God and the hope of Jesus in this season. Is there an invitation you need to make to Jesus to move back in to push out the darkness in your own heart, the rebellion that's in your own heart. 
and to bring you hope that, that there is coming a day when he will make all things new and we are not there yet, but when we know there's hope, it makes dealing with the darkness so much easier. We're reminded that it's not permanent and that it's not invincible, but there is one who can drive it out. So maybe today that's a choice that you need to make is to say, you know, I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been fighting this losing battle by myself and I can't do it anymore. I need the strength and hope that Jesus provides when I surrender control to him and trust that he won't lose. Maybe it's a chance for us corporately as a church family to bring the light of Christ to people who have never seen it before. Last week, I introduced uh, this campaign, this generosity venture that we're calling Planting Presence, where where we're gonna partner with this uh, mission organization in India to take the gospel to places where people have never heard the truth about Jesus. And and we're able to do this because we're able to say, um, how much I spend on people is not a reflection of how much I love them. Like I'm able to spend less and still show love to people through my presence. So I can take that money that I wasn't gonna spend, that I didn't spend, overspend on gifts, and I can send that to India so people can hear the good news about Jesus for the first time. This is a chance for us to be a part of God pushing back darkness in a place that is very spiritually dark. And uh, we have a video that's gonna share a little bit more about this organization. And then Bruce is gonna come up and um, explain that a little bit more. And then we're gonna have a baptism. So um, here we go, video first. South Asia, home to a quarter of the world's population, 1.9 billion people. Many of these people live in gripping darkness. They have not been shown the love of Christ. Because of the traditional belief systems, the poor are marginalized and separated from opportunities, leading to great physical, emotional, and spiritual need. At Central India Christian Mission, we believe that God has called us to transform these communities in South Asia by creating light through real, radical gospel change. CICM, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is altering the very DNA of this land for the better by sharing the message of Jesus Christ and fulfilling His commandments to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is why we, despite the risk of persecution, courageously work every day to reach the unreached, love the unloved, and bring freedom to those held in captivity. We live by Jesus' example, preaching the good news and serving the people that we meet through our ministry pillars of launching leaders, empowering youth, transforming communities. God is igniting the fire of His kingdom message through our indigenously-led ministries. And with the support of our global partners, we have planted more than 3,000 churches and over half a million brothers and sisters now have vision to see His goodness. The Lord is at work. We have seen it every day of our 30 years engaged in this work. 
in the smiles of the community, in moments of prayer and worship, and in the restoration he is bringing to this land. We would love to invite you to be a part of what God is doing. Pray for our ministry. Pray for the church. Pray that the light of Christ is known and all of the darkness is lifted. So this morning, if you've been listening, you notice that the word presence has kind of been played on um, at least three different times that I counted. And so giving me a gift present and I'm here with you presence, two different things um, that Adam talked about. At 55, you would think I would start to outgrow the whole giving me a gift presence thing, but it's not done very well so far. I like receiving gifts, but I've gotten better. If you talk to my wife, she would probably let you know that now the other end of it is a problem and the giving of gifts has become a bit of an issue and whether or not I'm carrying that a little bit too far. So the presence and the presence, two different things. And I can go back into my childhood and I can still remember a couple of key things that I got as a, as a kid, gifts. But what I really remember is different people um, that have been there at different times in the presence. And that was really the big impact. And so in talking about um, the Central India Christian mission, the presence me or you or someone being there is really the big emphasis. So what can we possibly give up to help in the giving or the getting and to ensure a presence in this big opportunity in central India? So what's happened is an area has opened up and so now missions work can begin and understand that it's not necessarily just people with the same belief system that we have having opportunities, it opens the door for a lot of others to have opportunities in there also. So understand that. 1.9 B billion people, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of opportunity. So church planting is something that we've been talking about in leadership um, for a while now and the importance of church planting. What's crazy is to go over in this area of central India and to think the price for being able to support somebody for a year, it was kind of nuts when Adam was explaining it to us and, and the small amount that giving can, can be effective over there. So what we're looking at is trying to plant three um, people over there and support them for a year. And for three people and supporting them for an entire year would only come to $10,800. So it almost seems crazy that small of an amount and the impact that we can have on opening the door to this part of India for three or for 1.9 billion people. And that number just continues to increase. So the, the planting of these three missions there and then their expectation is to continue to do the same. So it multiplies very, very quickly to where we're looking at affecting thousands of people in a very short time. So, Normally about this time of year, one of the leadership will come up and we'll start talking about the um, giving, the love offering that we normally give. And, and in order to not ask you twice at the same time of year for a giving, an additional giving opportunity, we're gonna forego the love offering 
And we're going to ask you to focus on this opportunity with the Central India Christian Mission, all right? Now on your, if you are an app person and you do the app um, like I do uh, for giving, where you normally would choose tithe in that little box, if you push, um, you can get where it says planting presence, just like you see up here. So that is specifically for this missions opportunity. And again, our goal is 10,800. Now don't let, that, don't let that be a limiting factor, all right? If you wanna do the whole 10,800 yourself, that is fabulous, we'll just go on from there. So we're not limiting that. Uh, but the fact is, it's really a small amount to, to support three people for an entire year. Um, so you can do that if you give cash or if you give a check, please put on their planting presence um, so that uh, it's understood exactly what that's for. And again, just for clarification, this isn't, I'm choosing to put my normal giving into another category. That's not what this is for. This would be above and beyond. And then if you really feel crazy about it, and you need to give to someone else, um, the, the Bruce Knott Truck Fund is still available also. So don't think that that's not an opportunity. 